You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. What is up, Kangaroo Chasers? I'm Michael Carboni, and welcome to another edition of Chasing Kangaroos, or should I say Chasing Jillaroos? That's right, for this episode, it'll be unlike our regular format. We have four interviews from Australia, uh, and part of the St. George Laura Dragons 9's 2020 winning team, Patelli Vetti Welsh. Uh, from Ghana, the Scholars Rugby League team manager, Rachel Ancoma. From Brazil, the 2021 World Cup hopeful, Marguerite Weiss. And from France, East Tigers and French international, uh, Lorraine Bivel. Uh, and to help me tie it all together, I have my co-host for this episode. She's a journalist and media specialist focused on sport and, uh, and Pacific affairs. She's most well known for her documentary, Power Mary, which follows Papua New Guinea uh, Papua New Guinea's first national women's rugby league team on their journey towards the 2017 World Cup. Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, Joanna Lester. Thank you very much. It's great to finally be here. I know we've been, Joe, we've been planning this one for a while and um, we finally got it all together. And I'm just so happy that you're here. Uh, you're here with us for this, what is going to be a very unique and awesome episode about women's rugby league or with a special focus on women's rugby league all the way around the world. So, Joe, um, just very quickly, we, we all know you from from um, your documentary, Power Mary. I think most of the rugby league community would know, have seen or have heard of that film by now. But you're involved in all sorts of different things in the rugby league world. So maybe just give us a quick um, look at the, the types of things that you're doing and uh, rugby league wise. Yes. So I started off as a journalist um, in England, as you can tell from my accent. Um, but I moved to Australia in yep. 2008, just before the 2008 Rugby League World Cup. So that was the first Rugby League World Cup that I covered as a journalist. Um, I covered 2013 over in England as well, which was fantastic. Um, and then from 2015 onwards, um, well, I moved to Papua New Guinea in 2014 to work in a media and communications role with the NRL there. Uh, the NRL runs a community program um, in PNG as well as in Fiji, Samoa and Tonga, but PNG was kind of the flagship um, and I helped set up their media and communications and that was really about communicating the social impact of rugby league there and some of the specific kind of focus areas of that program which are about gender equality and the yep. importance of education and health and that kind of thing so I kind of um, moved from being just a journalist to sort of working in that sort of communication side of rugby league but in terms of how it has an impact on society um, that's where Power Mary came from. I love the fact you say that most listeners have seen it. I kind of fear that <laughs> so many people in the rugby league family still haven't seen it, um, but we'll talk later about how people can see it, and right. I would love them to. Yep. Um, I'm still really involved in outreaching Power Mary in different countries, using it to grow women's rugby league internationally, um, and doing a bit of sort of work with Asia Pacific as well, and also still involved um, with the Orchids and the Cools, which has been a huge honour, and I have learned more about rugby league and um, the needs of players and the needs of the international sport through working with the Orcas of the Commons than I have from ever sort of being a journalist in the first place. So that's been a huge part of the journey for me. That is um, that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I should mention that there's a lot of different sort of things going on. There are a lot of different hats. And, and today, I guess I'm just sort of giving my personal perspectives on international women's rugby league, a lot of which has come through the Power Mary project and seeing the opportunities through that, that I think um, as a sport we could really harness. Well, that's awesome. And I think the listeners can quickly tell that uh, you are the perfect uh, co-host for this episode. So I think you're, I'm looking forward to getting some of your opinions on, on the game and the wider perspective of the game. So that is awesome. So um, Power Mary, um, Joe, tell us a little bit about the findings from the documentary and maybe how some of the lessons apply to rugby league in other nations as well. Yeah, I think um, it's a, this is a very good question about the findings. Um, for any listeners who haven't seen it and are wondering why a documentary would have findings rather than just be something that people would watch, um, I think it's worth sort of just clarifying that, that it's um, it's not just following the story of the teams of the World Cup, it's kind of exploring how women's rugby league is having an impact in Papua New Guinea more generally on the players themselves, on the way that women are perceived. Um, and that's a really important factor in PNG, where there are very few opportunities for women in, in education, in work and in leadership, 
there are no, you know, there are no female politicians. Um, there's a lot of gender-based violence. I mean, this has actually been particularly in the news over the past few weeks in Australia. There's a very high-profile case with a um, a PNG athlete. She's a boxer and a rugby sevens player who many of the rugby league players actually know quite well. Um, so the, the, the sort of story of women's rugby league and PNG is about much more than just the sport. Um, and that applies across some other Pacific countries as well. And I, I suppose the conversation that I've tried to start with the film about the bigger impact of women's rugby league um, is kind of, is sort of why it's more than just a film. Yep. Um, and so that's why I guess we're talking about, you know, findings and lessons. So I think one thing that has surprised me perhaps is how far it has traveled in countries and among audiences that know nothing about rugby league and have maybe never even heard of Papua New Guinea. Yeah. So I think, well, I mean, one of the biggest markets, if I can use that word for it, has been the USA. Yeah, well. Um, there's so many film festivals there that are interested in stories about women. There's, it was recently on TV there in May, and that was pretty huge. Um, we did a virtual, it was, it was a bit on TV, but then the TV broadcaster contacted me and said, we want to do a virtual screening where people can, you know, as everyone's doing these days, watch it on Zoom and, and do a Q&A yeah, well. with, with me. And I said, well, let's bring one of the players as well. So we had Della, who's one of the players, log in from Port Moresby and me logging in from Sydney. The guy was hosting it from Boston and somebody else was in um, San Francisco and the people from all over the USA um, asking questions in the Zoom. So I think for me, that has, has really illustrated how we tell the stories of our sport is as important as the sport itself for how we reach those audiences. You know, people, people in the USA, or, or at least these particular people in the USA would never have stumbled across the NRL but they've come across this documentary about the Papua New Guinea women's team. And now they're all going on the Orchids Facebook page, commenting, saying that they're new fans and they're going to follow the Orchids and watch their matches from now on. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. And it just, yeah, I think it, that's a really important lesson. It just shows how, um, how huge, or not huge, but how quickly our game is growing internationally when an English woman who creates a documentary about a Papua New Guinean team is being sort of spoken about and shown in the USA. And that's like none of those things. If you told anyone any of that, you know, a number of years ago, they would have said, you're crazy. That will never happen. But did you expect the, the, the documentary to have such a cult? Like when you're going in, you must have thought, oh, this is great. I get to sort of tell this rugby league story. You didn't expect it to have such like cultural impact. I did. It's true. I didn't outside of the Pacific. Yeah. Um, I mean, going in at the very beginning, I didn't know if I'd be able to get any funding to make it or how I would do it. I always said the worst case scenario was I'd just film it myself and edit it on my laptop and then we'd have at least sort of captured this moment in time and yeah. we would have it to do something with. Um, once we got, uh, well, I just did a lot of fundraising over a very long period and managed to get enough funding to to have a you know really good cinematographer and, and make it um, in a high quality way, that opened up the opportunity to get it on TV in different countries. Um, and there is, you know, there is an interest in Pacific stories in the US, but also in Australia and New Zealand. In New Zealand, we were on Maori TV. In Australia, we were on NITV. Yep. Um, so so I guess um, most of the doors that have been opened have n not been anything to do with rugby league, actually. It's because it's a story about women doing something unusual and inspiring. And so most of the opportunities we've had have been because of that. But what a way to get rugby league in front of people. Yeah. You know, we had so many cinema screenings, especially here in Australia, that were full of female audiences saying, I don't even like sport, but I love this. Yeah. Um, and I guess another thing that's really come through from feedback from audiences at those kind of events is that this is the total opposite of what a lot of people think of rugby league's image. Yep. And I'm, you know, people often ask me if we're doing a Q&A after the film, why don't we see more of this? What What is Rugby League doing with this? Where, you know, yeah. why isn't the NRL, you know, showing us all the time? Um, and I suppose that just shows sometimes the disconnect between how the public perceive Rugby League and what Rugby League is to those of us involved in things like this, in the Orchids, in, in International Women's Rugby League in general, in the, the kind of bigger picture stuff. It's great to see. You must be incredibly proud. So congratulations, Joe. It's really awesome. Thank you. And look, this episode, we've been talking about it for a while. Um, you were meant to be on the International Rugby League podcast with me, 
a little while ago. We we're both on the um, we we're both selecting Golden Boot winners, and I had an episode with Brad Walter, and you were meant to be there as well. So uh, it didn't it didn't happen for various reasons, but I'm glad you're here, and we're finally on the podcast together. So it's it's been it's it's fantastic. Now the way this is going to work is um, we're going to go to two of the interviews that I've mentioned before. Um, I'll come back with Joe. We'll have a bit of a halftime break and have a little bit of a chat. Um, and then we'll go to the last two interviews and then come back again with you at the end, Joe, and we'll wrap the whole show up. So, um, guys, it's going to be a great one. So I'm going to go to our first interview. And for the first one, Big T chats with Batelli Vetti Welsh. Um, and this was recorded in January, which just shows you how long this episode has been in the work. So back then, Batelli was playing for the West Tigers in the New South Wales Rugby League. Since then, she went on to win the NRL Nines with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. So yeah, exciting stuff. And uh, over to you, Big T. Thanks, Carb. Sitting patiently on the other end of the phone today is the culprit of possibly the greatest kick chase in Leichhardt oval history. She is a member of the West Tigers Harvey Norman team, the NRLW Dragons. She was named in the New South Wales team who beat the Maroons once again. And most excitingly, she was named to represent Australia in the last year's Nines Comp. Welcome, Botil Vetti Welsh, to Chasing Kangaroos. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well, Jamie. Now, you're at work, which is incredible that you would do this during your lunch break. And that's that's the beautiful sing-songy stuff we're hearing in the background. Yeah, yeah. It's coming soon, the lunch truck. So, you'll hear in a second. And so, how, how is that going, like, straight up with you, you having to do commitments like this in football? How does that go for you? Yeah, it's not too bad. We've got a good work schedule at the moment. So I do seven till three and then that's enough time for me to race around and get to trainings in the afternoon. It just becomes a bit hectic sometimes when you have to do overtime where you can get some big dollars, but yeah, I've got <laughs> trainings to get to instead. Yeah. And speaking <laughs> but yeah, I'm lucky my schedule is pretty good. And speaking of the big dollars, we just had Christmas. Um, <laughs> is the Christmas break good for athletes like you or is it actually terrible? Or How does that go? <laughs> Yes, yeah, Christmas, there's the truck. There's the lunch truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Christmas was good for me. It was a little bit different. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it was a little bit different to what I would usually do. I think after a hectic year of 40 last year, this Christmas break, I actually got to rest instead mm. of um, training through, which I was a bit nervous not to train through uh, with the nines and the uh, All-Stars game coming up in Feb. So. Yeah, it was a little bit different, not training, but it was good mentally to have a have a big break. Right. And is your parents and family and stuff like that helpful or, or more, or do they make it harder for you with food and stuff? Like, are you still trying to keep uh, your diet and things or people uh, chucking ham at you at every minute of the day? Or? No, I see our family Christmas, you'll be lucky if you see a green bowl of vegetables on the table. Mm. So our ones just consist of carbs, protein, <laughs> seafood, and more carbs. So, yeah, yeah yeah, Christmas food is probably the biggest or the hardest thing to um, get over. But my diet's not too great at, at all in general, let alone during Christmas. Really? So, yeah, I know. It's really bad. But I've got a goal this year and, and my lunchbox has um, carrots and cucumbers on, on top. So <laughs> I'm getting there slowly and okay. working through. This year's my massive goal is to put good good foods in my body. If I can make teams and play decent footy eating rubbish, then I'm sure I'll be able to play bigger and better games yeah. if I treat my body right. Okay. And were, and was your family instrumental in you getting into rugby league in the beginning? Yeah. So I've only got brothers and I'm the youngest and only girl. So mm. um, to survive, it's pretty much bash and crash and, <laughs> right. and um, work my way to the top of the family. So yeah, any sport that I've ever done has been contact and, and rough. And with, um, being the youngest, you've got to compete for everything, whether it be food or favoritism from your parents. So yeah, my family... <laughs> definitely one of the biggest help when it comes to our footy. Right. And you, you must be dominating them now, right? None of them are doing anything as amazing as you're doing. Oh, domi- I'm dominating them on TV, but when it comes to <laughs> Christmas games, it's my brother's 30 years old and he flew over from New Zealand and we're still having the race to see who's the fastest Betty Welsh or who's the strongest really? Betty Welsh. Yeah, no, there's... Just because I play on TV does not mean I'm any good in the family. Yeah. <laughs> family competitions dominate everything. Get out of town. So, so you're doing running ones. How are you doing the strength one? I'm not very good. They, yeah, my brother's like 120 kgs and he's like a prop. He plays prop for um, new stuff. Oh, for Ron Massey. So, oh, right. Yeah, he's, my, he's who I have to learn how to tackle with. If I've played a bad game, 
and and I've gone over to my parents' house. It always ends up with me and my brother having to learn how to tackle each other <laughs> in the lounge room. We haven't broken anything yet, so we must be doing all right. You sound like you've you're reading straight out of the Andrew Johns Matthew Johns um, biography. <laughs> so this is excellent. Uh, now, what what's your first memory of football? Oh, so my first me- of, of women's league. Um, I was watching the, one of the test matches between the Kiwis and the Aussie girls, and it was uh, Mahalia Murphy, I think she was playing fullback at the time, mm-hmm. was um, returning a kick, and Tawila Putumwala yep. lined her up and absolutely smoked her, like chopped her in <laughs> half. And it was pretty much that moment I thought, oh, nah, no chance am I ever going to play league. Right. And then I was, I was convinced a, a couple of years later to go, give it a go, and thank God I did, really. Who convinced you to do that? Um, my partner has cousins had a um they'd started playing footy out at mounties and okay. so yeah so I, I was convinced they said it, i was fast so i'd be able to run away from all that but <laughs> yeah being smoked a few times so it doesn't always work now what are the moment you're really enjoying about it i mean that's how the, someone's talked you into it and you've obviously stuck around so what are you really enjoying about playing football I think it's more the rapid growth. Like last year, I was just happy to play with my mates. Our tiger, the ti- girls at the Tigers are yeah. incredible, and we had such a cool vibe there. Um, but yeah, one moment you're playing footy just to hang out with your mates and spend time with them during the weekend, and then within the year, by the end, you're on TV playing for Australia. So yeah. I think it's so exciting to um, be amongst the women's sport at the moment. Like everything's just growing and. The opportunities that are arising from women's sport is crazy, and I'm just lucky to be a part of it, really. Yeah, but, yeah, okay. Well, you've also got the talent, mate, because as I was talking about before, that kick chase, I don't know how fast your brother is if you're not winning the fastest thing. Cause <laughs> the, the kick chase you did against the Bears in the final was like the essence of clutch. Because remind well, anyone who wasn't there, it's the dying seconds of the game, right, and we're behind. But what's, yeah. what's going on in that scrum? Who's talking about what's going to happen? Oh, one of our, our young girls, um, Emily Curtin, I haven't, I don't know if you've seen some of her highlights from her Tasha Gale um, comp, but she, her kicking game is one of the most incredible I've ever seen. And I just looked at her and we pretty much thought, we've got nothing to lose, let's give it a crack. Mm. And she's only young, she's um, just, she was 17 at the time and she just thought, yep, I got you. And then I thought, yeah, oh, I got you then. And then she picked it. <laughs> and then I was chasing it and, and Shanice Parker was their fullback and she she's fast. So when I just got in front of her, I thought, shit, I think I've got her. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it would have been nice to catch it in score, but I think it set us up for that next uh, next try that comes through yeah, to, yeah. Um, to get us into a draw. Well, she, um, I think she tackles you and holds onto you for too long or something like that when we get a penalty and, yeah, and the I whole thing comes off that. Yeah, she tackled me before I could get to the ball, right, right, which right. is lucky. Well, lucky, lucky her because you score for sure. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, incredible yeah, moment. It was, it was cool. Um, okay, so then, I mean, that it's phenomenal. So players like that are helping you get picked up for rep teams. Talk us through what, what the pathway is like at the moment for women's thing. You, you brushed on it before, but, I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're a 15-, 16-year-old girl right now um, playing in Birchgrove Oval, what, what's the pathway like? Oh, the pathway for our young girls at the moment is incredible. You've got the Lisa Fiola, which is for the under-16 girls, and, and that's like a little tournament where they can represent an NRL club as well. You've got the Tasha Gale for the 18s. Mm. Now there's a state of origin for the 18s girls. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy at the moment for these young girls. I can remember for all the older ladies that um, are on their way out of footy at the moment, yeah. it's pretty much went from playing with the boys to under 12s and then waiting to under 18s or women's before you can play again. Right, right. So for the young girls at the moment, it, it's a pathway straight from juniors all the way through to open women's eventually. And are they doing it? Like, how do you even get into those? Do they have opening trials sessions for things like that or? Yeah, just you just go down to your local footy club. There's always usually a um, girls team and then the coaches for those teams usually are emailed about all the rep teams that they can um, make their way to. And, right. Yeah. And have you seen much, have you had much to do with Oztag in the women's game? No, see, I'm not an Oztag player. I'm a touchy. Oh, right. Too, yeah, too so fast. Touch, yeah, yeah. Oztag's a little bit stopped. Yeah, too slow for us. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So I come from touch and um, rugby seven. So, yeah, I think be, being within a touch um, background or an Oztag background, you come with the fundamentals when you move mm. the league. It's pretty much just the tackling and the mongleness that you got to learn. Mm. 
And if but you have, you're... if you have a brother like yours, and that you know, yeah, and if you've got easy. brothers like mine who can bash and crash, <laughs> and you can handle that, you'll be sweet when you come to woman. <laughs> okay, so what what do you see happening um, next in in rugby league for women in Australia? Oh, hopefully it's going to become fully professional. I know there's contracts out there for girls, uh, some of the top elite girls, to hopefully eventually stop working and just play full time footy. Right. Um, well, that's the goal really, and I think. Hopefully, within the next 10 years, that's what rugby league in Australia aspire to be for the women. Yeah. What's your next goal? So, professionalism for everybody is paramount because then we're also, with all of that training and extra time that they get, you know, everyone's quality goes up even further than it already is. So, what's your next goal? My next goal is just to be consistent, play consistent footy, um, hopefully make uh, Dragons or the NRLW again. We've got the Nines coming up in the All Stars game. So, hopefully, our Maldives team can come over and, and play some quality football um, on the big screen again and just more opportunities for our cultural teams to play more games as right, well. Right, right, right. Mm. Okay, so people listening now would be are super excited about the growth of the, of the game at NRLW and, and around it. What should they be doing if they really want to help that growth? Oh, get down to all women's games, whether it be grassroots or the NRLW games. I know a lot of clubs, um, that are associated with NRL teams have women membership um, groups. So if you can jump on, grab a membership, come down and support the girls. I, I know my brothers used to say girls footy was, was boring and just big girls running at big girls. But I think now the ch- times have changed. The mm. skill level is, is um, crazy and the fear that the girls don't have is probably what makes their game so much more interesting than the men's games at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Also, I was down at Leichhardt over to see the Roosters and St. George Dragons play the end of that season. Are we uh, w- incredible game? And and um, but are we getting a Tigers NRL? I know this is probably a question that you guys get asked all the time because it, it's still just four teams. But are we doing a? Is there an option for more NRLW th- teams? I think there's. Um, I think there has been an opening for more clubs to put their hands up and um, and try and get a position. Right. I think at the moment, it's staying with a four, but doubling the rounds. But eventually, it's going to get to six. So the more um, the more we put our hand up, I think hopefully they'll be our next step for the Tigers yeah, to, yeah. to get an NRLW team. I mean, we had our first year last year and and managed to finish in the top four yeah. and for its first club, uh, first women's team for the club. So I can only imagine what will happen when we put more resources into the women's game, especially yeah. at the Tigers. And, um, I mean, you play for St. George for the NRLW. Do you have a team that you go for in the NRL? In the means, nah. I always try my best to find a team right. that I like. I, yeah. I, I'm from New Zealand, so I used to be the Warriors, but they're probably the most inconsistent team <laughs> in um, any yeah. sport ever. So yeah. I unfortunately can't even cheer for my own country team. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I like players. I think um, – Josh Adakar is like my favourite player at the right. moment. So I think, and I like the colour purple. So Melbourne Storm is probably, <laughs> probably my it. go-to team at the moment. Fair enough. Okay. Well, when we sign him back at the Tigers, and you're still playing for the Tigers, you'll go for the Tigers. Yeah, That's great. yeah, yeah. While while it's Tiger season, <laughs> I'm a Tiger. Then when I go to Dragons, I'm a Dragon. Yeah. And, and then, then Melbourne's I'll, always in the finals, so then you go for yeah, Melbourne so in the finals. Yeah, so then I'm back to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Well, thanks, Bertil. This has been great. That's all my questions and comments, mate. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we finish? Um, I think I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me, though, and allowing me to have this little interview. No, no, man. Really, I've I've been loving your career and everything that's going on. It's it's great to get people talking about uh, NRLW. So it's a, it's a real pleasure for us to have you on. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. For the second interview, I spoke with Rachel Nkoma. Uh, she's the team manager for the Scholars Rugby League Club in Ghana, which is a men's team. And English is a second language for Rach, so she did want to keep this short. Um, but she did an incredible job, and um, she's got some awesome stuff to say about rugby league in a place that not many of us uh, would know too much about. So rugby league in Ghana with Rachel and Coma. Enjoy. Rachel and Coma, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Michael? Fantastic. Great to be speaking to you again. And uh, for the listeners, can you let us know, how did you discover Rugby League? I was discovered, or let's say I was introduced to Rugby League by Jafari Mustafa. He was then the CEO of one of the Rugby League clubs. And I think he liked what I was doing for my volleyball team and he introduced me to it. 
So I went from volleyball to rugby league. And of course, I think was that role your team manager role for the scholars. Is that correct? Yes, please. And what, what did the role entail? What did you do? And, and what were some of the highlights as the scholars team manager? Okay. Um, I'm still the um, team manager for scholars though. And my role includes um, seeing to the welfare of the players before and after the matches. That is, I have to make sure the players are present and ready to match this. And then I have to attend to any injured player, ensuring that they are they receive the best treatment during match time. And then also after the matches, I have to check up on them to make sure they are okay, they are taking their drugs and everything. And also I liaise with um, the media team to make sure our articles, match results, and all our activities are posted on the various social media platforms. So um, those are basically the main things I do there. And then, um, yeah, my achievements so far, <laughs> I can say the best one is um, pushing my team to take second place in the 2019 Ghana Rugby League Championship. That's awesome. It sounds like you're incredibly busy and a very important part of the team, which is fantastic. You've recently started in an important role as the coordinator for the Ghana Female Rugby League. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the plans are for the future? Okay, so um, my main role um, as a coordinator is to get women involved in rugby league. In Ghana, we don't really have women who are participating or are interested in rugby league. So for now, my plans to make this um, success is to try and increase the number of females participating. And this I want to do by introducing ladies to rugby league. Okay. And also, I want to, along the line, we'll have to try and increase the retention of the female players. So we'll have to put measures in place to make sure that those who get involved don't stop playing. And then also, I want to try and increase the visibility and promotion of the female rugby league in Ghana. Yep. People don't know so much about rugby league in general. So females don't really participate in it. Most of them are already scared of it. Yep, of course. Any Ghana Rugby League social media followers will have seen the hashtag Pretty Girls Play Rugby League campaign. Um, Is this part of your your push to help introduce the game to more women in Ghana? And how's that going so far? Yeah, that's that's one of my pushes. Like, it's going well so far. And um, (laughs) the reason why I actually started a campaign was because of some feelings around actions i had with a few people yeah like i posted something about rugby league on my facebook and everyone was surprised they kept asking me do i play rugby league and i was like why and they were all like they didn't know pretty girls play rugby league so <laughs> yep. i was i was really shocked <laughs> i was shocked that's when i realized the stereotyping is so bad okay it's like people assume rugby league is for males or let me say they're tomboys and I just wanted to show them that it's not so. And our rugby league is for everybody. So that was what was happening. That's fantastic. It's a great message. And, you know, obviously things are going very small over there at the moment, but it will get bigger and better. Can you tell us maybe what some of the plans or what your vision is for the future for men's and women's rugby league over in Ghana? Okay, for now, our main plans include developing a competitive national team. And to achieve this, I think we intend to increase competitiveness in the various clubs, various schools and junior levels. And also, we intend on um, putting in place, maintaining and improving our structures and systems and to improve the quality of the players we have. And also, we've already started promoting rugby league locally. And we are hoping to extend it regionally and globally. (laughs) Yeah, that is that is fantastic. You guys are doing such a great job. Keep it up. Uh, thank you for chasing kangaroos with me, Rachel. And can you let our listeners know how they can follow and support what you guys are doing over in the Ghana Rugby League? Okay, we'll be very grateful if they will follow our social media handles. They will post our stuff and then they will also share our pages for their friends to like. It will really help us. So we'll be very, very, very grateful. Sensational. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Oh, thank you to Michael. Have a lovely day. Okay, Joe. Um, awesome to hear from two women with very different stories and one from a country where rugby league is very well established 
at another where our sports history is only beginning. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm sure you agree, but no matter what part of the world, it's great to see women involved and passionate about this sport. And I'm wondering, you know, we've got, we've got a player there in Batelli and we've got a player manager in Rachel um, playing some really important roles in, in areas that sometimes you wouldn't expect to see women, or definitely not in the past anyway, but we're seeing more and more of them involved. Um, are there areas, Joe, that you'd like to see more women, more ladies, more girls taking part in, in this, this great game of ours? Yeah, I think uh, you made a really good point there that um, Rachel's from Ghana, a country where rugby league's history is only just beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think this is an incredibly important point when we're talking about International Women's Rugby League because in countries where we're a relatively new sport um, and there aren't preconceptions about rugby league, is a massive opportunity to grow the women's game from the start to build it alongside the men's and to not, um, you know, be bogged down by preconceptions that rugby league is a male dominated sport um, because it doesn't have to be everywhere. And I've actually been sort of saying for a couple of years, I think Africa is a major opportunity for that. And with certain forms of the game, um, you know, tag and touch in particular, Asia is another one where, either code of rugby in many countries is so little known that by going in with the right format and the right strategy, we could potentially build the women's game more strongly than the men's. So that kind of leads into women being involved, not just as players, but as as coaches, as team managers like Rachel in other training roles. It is difficult to build women's rugby league teams generally, either domestically or internationally, when All the staff are male, especially in certain cultural contexts. Yep. There are challenges for women around lots of things, you know, childcare, health considerations, um, sort of cultural barriers that ideally you want a team of male and female staff of that team to help navigate. Yep. Obviously, at the beginning, there are likely to be fewer female staff, but even with the, the Papua New York kids, we've already seen some of the players from that inaugural team now sort of train on the coaching side and join the coaching staff. Um, so there is a, a, you know, very obvious pathway there. And I think it's really important to kind of almost accelerate that to make sure that we do have enough female staff for, for women's teams to sort of get things growing in the right way from the start. I'm glad you mentioned coaching there with, with, with the Papua New Guinean women, because there's, we're seeing a lot of, you know, new referees and touch judges and obviously a lot of girls and ladies playing rugby league and, even getting into management, but coaching seems to be one that you don't see much of. And I think it's an area that I'd love to see more women get involved in and especially to help, you know, give, give some of the younger girls some, um, something to look up to and some good role models and things like that. So I think um, that's definitely one. You, you mentioned something before about women's rugby league sort of leading the way and sort of in some areas sort of taking over the men's game in some parts of the world. And I think I think that's a good point as well. And it sort of brings me to some questions I had about your thoughts on NRLW because for me, I, I, lo- I love watching the NRLW. Like I absolutely love it. It's an, I know it's probably a little bit too short being four rounds and I'm sure that'll change soon, but it's a great quality of rugby league. Um, when we get to state of origin level, it's even better. And when we get to international level, like the Kiwi Ferns and and the Gillaroos, like they've had some incredible contests and, and, you know, in the nines and in internationals. And it's, it's been amazing. And when I was um, down in Wollongong for the Australia, New Zealand tests late last year, when the women's game was on, just the, the overwhelming sort of response and, and feedback from all the fans around me was, wow, how good is this? Like, I think it sort of takes people, people are a little bit surprised by the quality and the level. And I think NRLW certainly is a much higher quality and level than people anticipated. Um, but I think when I look at the NRLW, I think like I sort of think about it this way, Joe, and, and tell me what you think. But if we had like a blank canvas to start professional rugby league in Australia, it probably wouldn't look like the NRL. The NRL is sort of what has organically happened over time in New South Wales, Queensland, etc. And it's sort of spread and evolved. But with NRLW, we have a chance to, to we have a blank canvas we can make this look however we want and we can like kind of like what you said we can women's rugby league can lead the way in some areas like wa or maybe another new zealand team or, or Papua new guinea or things like that so i'm just wondering what your thoughts are on 
NRLW and how it should evolve and grow in the future? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think you mentioned that it's a shame that it's only um, four rounds. Yep. I think for me, it's it's a shame that it's still only four teams yep. um, because there are now so many NRLW quality players out there that we've got quite a number of players being locked out of the competition due to its small size. Yep. I mean, it was four teams in the first year, and I think there were really good reasons for that. We, as you mentioned, we saw the high quality um, and and that was that was definitely a good move. But by last year, you could have picked another twenty five woman squad of players who yeah. could have been playing at that level, but but weren't. Um, and then this year, you add obviously things have been very disrupted by coronavirus. But Queensland started its QRLW competition, yep. which is really raising the standard in that state, and actually attracted players moving from overseas to Queensland to play in that competition from yep. England, from PNG, from Canada. Um, so there's even more pressure on what's still only 100 contracts in the NRLW. So that's 25 players across four teams. Um, So the first thing really I want to see is at least one or two more teams by next year to cater for these numbers because you've got pathways, you've got people coming through, um, but you don't want those pathways to end too early or we do risk losing people to other sports. And especially with, you know, the potential international pathways for the NRLW, the fact that it is by far the premier women's competition in the world and you've got people coming here from the other side of the world to aim to play in it yeah um that just you know that just goes to show the, the demand and the, the regard that it's held in um and and the potential talent that is out there to, to be filling more teams you mentioned two more teams where would where would you put them well that's a good question i mean to be honest when <laughs> i I'm, I'm thinking about this from the perspective of player pathways talent um and you know, keep keeping that going, creating those opportunities for players, and creating um, the the pipeline for more players. Yep. Where you actually put the team is more of a commercial decision. Yeah. Um, and I, you obviously want the buy-in, buy-in from the appropriate NRL club. I think having only one team in Queensland is very limiting. Yep. I think it would be great to see one in North Queensland. Obviously, the Cowboys are have a team in the QRLW. Yep. Um, they've, I know they've shown a lot of enthusiasm. There's a huge player base um, up there in North Queensland, so that sort of seems to be an obvious option. Um, but, you know, you talked earlier about the geographical footprint. footprint. Yep. I mean, perhaps Melbourne is another interesting one. But you've already got so many rugby league areas with huge player bases of women that haven't got a team. Newcastle, for example. Yep. Um, so... I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but I think the answer, given the number of players out there and the fact that more and more players will reach a higher level if you create a couple more high-performance environments, which is what you get with an NRLW team, yep. um, that it's it's as big as you want to make it, really. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. And um, 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 what do you think about the commercial viability, I suppose? Are there opportunities for more money to come into the game as the women's game expands as well? Well, this is, I was going to say the million dollar question. Hopefully we don't need a million dollars, although maybe we do. Yeah. Um, but this is this is the, the biggest question in women's sport. And it's not just rugby league that's grappling with this. It's, you know, demonstrating the value of women's sport. It's yeah. a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Will people invest in it? Because will people watch it? Well, we've already started to see in rugby league and in other sports that people are watching it and are more interested in it than perhaps administrators originally assumed you yep. know the ratings for women's origin are huge yep. nrlw um to take some examples from other sports obviously the fifa women's world cup is now one of the biggest tournaments on the planet um we've seen this we've seen you know cricket has done a very good job in in demonstrating this too yep um so there you know there is a moment in time that we are probably in right now where you know we have to sort of take more risks to grow in order to demonstrate the demand and therefore the value. Um, but that is a point that as a sport you get over once you've passed it. We've seen football now, um, you know, invest in the Women's World Cup for however many cycles and yeah. now everyone wants a piece of it. Yeah. So it does take that vision and that investment to get us there. Um, but once we're there, I don't think we'll see a drop-off in interest. I think it'll only grow. It will explode. And it's just a... It's almost a whole new market. I mean, my my four year old daughter 
when she sees women and girls playing a sport, she's certainly more interested. Like when Ash Barty is the world number one tennis player, she's like, oh, who is this Australian girl that's the best in the world? Like, so it's good to have those role models there. And I think yeah, there's so many opportunities. It's great. Um, Joe, I, I love that most of the questions I've asked so far tonight, you, you've said that's a good question. So that means I'm doing my job well. Um, we're going to go back to our interviews three and four for this episode. And then you and I can come back and, and have some final final questions and wrap this thing up. So uh, for our next interview, we head to Brazil to speak with Marguerite Ruiz, uh, who was the Brazilian ambassador at the 2021 Rugby League World Cup launch draw. Um, and she hopefully will be a part of the Brazilian World Cup squad as well in their first ever World Cup. So that will be incredible. Now, this interview is by Jill Marconi, uh, who is the wife of Robert Bergen, a.k.a. the godfather of father of Latin Rugby League. So technically, it makes her the godmother of Latin Rugby League. Uh, so over to you, Jill. Olá, Hello, everyone. My name is Margrethe. I am a, an athlete that plays rugby league in Brazil. And I'm here today to talk a little bit about my relationship with rugby league. I discovered rugby league last year, in April 2019, when I found out there was going to be a selection to play and represent the Brazilian team for rugby 13. And here in Brazil, rugby union it's 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 big. It's uh it's more played than league. Ninety percent of the clubs in here are rugby union. So when I found out about the selection to play rugby thirteen in Brazil, I was really excited because most girls in here they play rugby seven, and I was very attracted by the possibility of playing a different modality, um, a game that you play with more people and there is all types of people involved and you have more opportunities. It's, it's a different style than what we are used to here in Brazil with uh, Rugby 7. So that's how I got involved. I found out about the moda new modality of the game and I fell in love with it. And how am I uh, involved with rugby league currently? Well, at the moment, I am a project coordinator for a club here in Brazil, in a town called Marita, in the south of Brazil. So today I coordinate a project that we've got boys, girls, adults, kids, teenagers, we've got more than a hundred athletes um, divided between the projects that I run. And we used to be uh, focused in union and I have completely shifted the, the training methods to league. I invited a lot of athletes from the region that used to play rugby union to come and try league with us. Um, a lot of people came and they they love the game and we still gather together these days and we we practice we train we know we, we learn new things new rules now i need to tell you a story about the national championship that happened last year in sao paulo brazil well so from my town there were only two girls myself and someone else called giovanna so we, we thought, oh, let's go and play. And we went without even knowing who we were going to play with. Um, the games were going to be with reduced time. And we, we didn't know anyone. So we got there, we introduced ourselves, we picked a position and we were adapting as the day went by and towards the end of the tournament, we got three victories and we won the tournament. So we were the first champions of Rugby League 13 in Brazil. And our team is called the Hemendadas, which means the patched ones. Um, and how has COVID affected uh, rugby league in Brazil? So it really set us uh, behind with the projects we had since the beginning of the year. Uh, we were training quite heavy, 
Uh, we were learning all the rules, um, how you tackle with three people, how you attack, how you defend, all the rules from rugby league because it's so different from what everyone is used because they play union here in Brazil. So, unfortunately, for the project that we wanted to run this year in terms of training everyone, we couldn't go ahead. Um, it's it's been almost four months now since the last time we managed to run on fields and train and i believe there was still possibly not being able to run on the field for another two months but we are very hopeful that this year we'll still go back on the fields and we'll still be able to show everyone uh, what we know about rugby league so the rest of the country can get to know um what the game is about. Um, have I met Prince Harry when um, I went to London for the announcement of the World Cup? And how was I selected? Um, yes, I met Prince Harry. Um, it was an amazing experience. Can't really describe it. It was amazing to walk into the Buckingham Palace um, with people from all over the country, um, different athletes. It was just a very nice experience in a very well-organized event. Uh, but to be honest, I spent more time in the plane flying to get there than I spent there. Um, it was about 38 hours, I believe, to get there, and I spent just over 30 in there. But it was incredible, and I would do it all over again. And Prince Harry was very sympathetic, very polite, so I had a good time. Now, how was I selected to go and be part of it? Um, I have a, a really good friend in here, and he's um, heavily involved with Brazil regularly. And he messaged me one day and he said, I need to, um, I need a favor, so I'll give you a call. So he called me and we were chatting for a while. And just before he said goodbye, I said, hey, Hugo, you said you wanted a favor from me. Um, what is it? What do you want me to do? And he said, oh, yes, I would like you to go to London and represent Brazil in the announcement of the World Cup and be part of the drawing. And I was like, whoa, no way. But obviously I said yes. And uh, again, it was an amazing experience. And if he ever needed me again, I'm the one. Now, um, what's the importance of having a, a Brazilian side to represent Brazil in the World Cup? Uh, now, the girls, they are training and trying to have the chance to be selected to go and play. They are the girls that really believe in the game, um, knowing that it's a completely different and new modality, a brand new sport in the country, they are putting everything they have into it. Um, I believe that with these girls, they are training heavy now. What we would like to do is to leave a legacy behind that will show everyone what the game is about and that will teach others there are still to come how important the game is and what would I like to happen for the future of rugby league in Brazil I believe that we still face a lot of preconception of the game in Brazil um, here in Brazil the mentality is that the game it's a, a sport of strength only and it is for men and women shouldn't play and not just that, right now, the other difficulties we are facing is that uh, you, you shouldn't play league, you should play union, or you should play union, you shouldn't play league, so it's um, still quite divided. So what I would like is that people will understand that you can pick the sport that you want, and the one modality of the game will never change the other. Um, so you can, you know, form a union and be able to play both games and you can like both games, you can enjoy both games. So what I would like to happen is that, that everyone enjoys it and I would like to see the game 
um, spreading out between women. Um, it is a modality of a new sport that I really, really love, and I would like to see a lot of people playing it. How can people uh, follow and support the Brazilian team in this journey? Now we've got our social media platform, which you can access our Facebook, our Instagram, um, donate equipment or any other types of help, financial help. It will be very, very welcome. Um, now, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about rugby league today. Um, I truly hope that we will surprise you guys during the World Cup in 2021 next year. Once again, thank you very much. Okay, and for the final interview, Big T chats to Lorraine Bivelle from France. Uh, now, she most recently played nines for New the New Zealand Warriors and is part of the East Tigers QRL squad. Uh, but some of her hashtag grow, grow Rugby League stories have been really amazing. So looking forward to listening to this one. And over to you, Big T. Thanks, Cubs. With me today is the one and only Lorianne Bivielle. Welcome, Adam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Um, I would. We really want to find out what's happening in the rugby league scene in France. So, what's happening with women's rugby league there um, at the moment? So, at the moment, we just stopped um, every uh, off season because of. Uh, um, the virus, yeah. but um, we're going to start again uh, next season. So we don't have anything this year at the moment. And does it happen with, it has like Parisian teams or does it have teams all over France or are they mainly in just a one cluster or how, how does it work there? So for the women, it's a little bit different than in Australia because we don't have a lot of, um, a lot of girls who play. Yeah. So it's just we've got five um, big teams who plays in um, yeah against each other's uh, like a normal competition, and then we got another competition. Um, they play at nine on the field. Ah uh, yes. So yeah, we don't have a lot of girls with a good level in France, so we have to to do two different competitions. How did you find rugby league um, originally? <laughs> That's because of my little brother. So he started playing. Uh, I was four years old because he didn't like rugby union. Ah. So <laughs> so yeah, he started playing. Um, very, very young, but I was doing gymnastics until 12 years old, and then it was like a deal between each other. So it was like, oh, um, make one season, and then you will have something, <laughs> and I was like, yes, okay, and in France, the women, like, girls can play with boys until they're 15 years oh, old. Oh, right. And I was, I was 12, so I played with boys until 15, and then I started playing with women after that. Wow. And so how did you end up in Australia playing football? Um, so I was with a, a French coach. Uh, he's living in Brisbane at the moment. Um, so when I did my first selection with the national team, I was 17 years old. Wow. And then he asked to the coach if I was interested to come over. But I was doing my studies, so I wanted to finish until my 18th and then go to Australia. And how was that experience? Oh, that was great. That was yeah, that was so cool, um, especially with 40 over there, it's just massive, and even with the woman, so the level was just amazing, that was that was great. Okay, and so what are your, are your plans to come back to Australia and keep trying to play here, or, or what's the plan? Um, I don't really know, because um, with the virus, <laughs> we mm. can't go anywhere at the moment, so... I don't know. I just know the competition will start um, on September, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to come. Yeah. Um, so if I can't come back in Australia, maybe the plan will be to go in Super League in England. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And so tell me about, you. did you do some work in South Africa as well, South African Rugby League? Yeah, so... Um, 
the, the federation contacted me and asked me if I wanted to represent um, the Cavern Rugby League um, in like all around the world because um, footy over there is not very famous. It's more rugby union. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just said yes, and then we working on. Um, it's like an education for the women, so they can they can come and play footy, and then they got like a, a social life. Yep. Um, so it's it's like another another life, <laughs> and they, yeah, they can um, and we just do because they don't have any competition uh, in Cameroon. So we did organize a big big tournament um, one time like. Once a year, yeah, with only woman team, women's only woman um, for one week. So um, all the week they they go to different um, schools. They go to visit some schools and little girls. Um, wow! And then we give them some school kits because it's very poor. Um, poor. Yeah. Yeah. So we managed to give them something for city. And then on the weekend they just play the tournaments and yeah, it's like a, a big celebration of women rugby league. Wow, that sounds incredible! How long how long were you in Cameroon? How long were you in Cameroon doing that for? Um, so I'm working with them since two years now. Wow! And and do you go back or was it, it was, were you there living there for two years or do you go back once a year or how does it work? So um, unfortunately, I. I've never been uh, over there, so the plan is to go uh, one one day for the tournament because I've never been there before. Right, right. So I'm working with them from France or uh, from Australia. Um, so yeah, we're just trying. So my job is to represent um, to represent the tournament and the team, and then to try to find some um, some sponsor or something like that. Yeah, wow, that sounds fantastic, and. Um and so what do you think is the next step? Like, is that, is that kind of program easily done in other parts of the world or is it, is it not so easy to do? Oh, it's not easy at all. Mm. It's not easy, but we, the plan is to make them grow up and to, to get better um, in their footy and maybe play after that against, um, other country, like maybe France or Italia, something like that. Right. That sounds fantastic. So what's, what do you think is the plan really for women's rugby league to grow? How, what do you think is the best way to try and help it grow? Uh, I don't know. I think we just need, like, people just need to to be more interesting about women in the league because um, I, think, I think it's growing up very fast. So people just need to... Um, to show us they are interesting and just to watch the games or just, you know, if nobody is interesting about that, we will never grow up. Yeah. So we just need more people, more fans or something like that. And so something like the WNRL, do you think that, that helps them when, when people there's a game to watch and people can get excited about watching a, a top-level women's competition? Yeah, yeah, it is because um, I just take the example from uh, for France. Um, I on personally, I didn't know the level was like high like that yeah. before the WNRL just came. So it's just um, it's like a dream for the new generation. They want to to get better all the time to to just maybe come in England or in Australia to play one day. It's like you know like a dream so they're just going to train really hard and get more interesting about that excellent now do you have a team in the wnrl do you go for the the brisbane broncos because you were there or do you have another team do you like um i really like uh, the warriors ah. um, I love the and uh, the game um so yeah warriors fan okay there you go uh, you've not been in new zealand though um, just, uh, yeah, I've been there for the um, NRL 9. Oh, wow. Um, I've played, yeah, with the Warriors, so I think that's why. <laughs> oh, that makes lots of sense. Okay, and how did that game go? How did, how did you feel your game went? Um, the, the coach just contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, and I just said yes, and that was just, like, an amazing experience. That was so great. <laughs> 
Oh, congratulations. That's incredible. I'm so jealous and, and, and impressed. Uh, okay, Lorian, that's all the questions and comments I have. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we finish? Maybe to the, the French uh, new generation or even everybody, just um, keep believing in yourself and work hard and everything is possible if we believe it is. So just work hard and yeah. C'est magnifique. Très bien. Okay, well, Joe, what a collection of rugby league stories from uh, some women in every corner of our game. It's incredible. I think it's safe to say the future is bright for the women's version of our sport, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Lorraine in particular, what an incredible story, not just moving to Australia yep. at the age of 20 from yep. France on her own, but also studying at Women's Rugby League um, in a new country. Yeah. You know, you said that Robert Bergen is the godfather of uh, rugby league in Latin America. Well, maybe Lorraine is going to be um, the mother of women's rugby league in Africa. Yeah. Um, and some of the orchids call me the mother of the orchids too. So, you know, there's a lot of parenting happening, um, but good things come out of it, definitely. I love it. That's fantastic. And exciting to see, you know, I'd like to think that we've spoken to some women um, on this episode that will be taking part in the next Rugby League World Cup in 2021. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. It's very exciting. We're going to, of course, have Papua New Guinea there, Australia, New Zealand, England, all the, the usual suspects. But we've got some nations like France, of course, as well, and Brazil and it's it's going to be really exciting. So, Joe, I want to get some of your early predictions for the Women's World Cup in 2021. Who do you think is going to take it all out? And who do you think will surprise us? Well, interesting um, to be answering this question right now, because right now there is obviously um, a huge impact on women's rugby league all over the world because of coronavirus. Yeah. And unlike men's rugby league, there's still massive question marks in most places about what's happening with women's competitions yeah, this year. Great point. Um, I mean, even within Australia, we've got the New South Wales competition resuming um, this month in July, but Queensland, um, they had to cancel their main, main flagship QRLW comp because it was um, scheduled for a while ago. Um, so you've got female players around the world with very different and unequal playing experiences and opportunities this year. Um, we still don't know if there's going to be any internationals this year. I certainly hope so. Yep. Um, you know, in this part of the world, especially there is hopefully still going to be a window at the end of the season. And, um, you know, every international team wants to be playing matches the year before a world cup. Yep. Um, but, you know, worst case scenario, there'll be players who haven't played at all this year. And in some parts of the world where, coronavirus is less under control than it is in our part of the world, what does next year look like? Um, so it's a very hard question to answer. I mean, if all things were equal, um, I would be expecting a really competitive tournament. You know, we know the strengths of Australia and New Zealand. Yep. Um, England are a lot stronger than they were last time around because the Women's Super League over there yep. um, has really raised the standards. We saw Papua New Guinea beat England last year, so the Orchids have also improved greatly. Um, France were unlucky not to be involved last time because they have such a, a strong history and strong base in women's rugby league that they are such an unknown quantity, um, but exciting to see what they have to offer. And Brazil are a total unknown quantity, but yep. will have a lot of players with you know really high level sevens experience. And Canada, again, surprised a lot of people last time with their cross-code players and will only be better for another four years of rugby league experience. So, I mean, I think it is, it's going to be hugely exciting. Cook Islands, of course, most of their plays based in Australia yep. and sort of subject to the, the opportunities here. But it really depends what happens with these competitions this year and next year and how much preparation each country can have, whether they can actually play in internationals before they touch down in England. I certainly hope they will be able to. Yep. Yep. Um, there's still a lot of questions on that front. Yeah, definitely. And um, you, you've... Great summary of all the teams there, actually, as well. So hopefully they do get a chance to play. I think it's great to see, you know, the expansion to eight nations for the next World Cup. And I think we can also agree that, you know, there could have been a few more. Like, I think nations like Fiji, for example, very unlucky to miss out the way they, they've performed most recently. Um, so I think that just means great things. And, you know, maybe next time, next World Cup, maybe 2025 or whenever the next um, women's version of the World Cup is, there might be you know, maybe 16 teams, which would be really exciting as well. Definitely. I think you've touched on it there, that 
there were there were some nations that were incredibly disappointed not to be part of this yep. World Cup. Yep. And the decision that there would only be eight countries in this World Cup was made not even that long ago. But this shows you how fast International Women's Rugby League is growing, that there are now so many countries involved with domestic competitions wanting to put their hand up for a World Cup. And it's worth mentioning that next European summer, so June, July, I think, we are expecting the women's emerging nations to be happening in England as part of the Festival of World Cups. Hopefully, those events can go ahead um, and not impacted by what will hopefully be at that point, the tail end of COVID. But there are a number of international women's teams planning to play in that tournament. Vanuatu, for example, we launched Power Mary over there recently and, yep. and they use that event to launch their campaign for the Emerging Nations Women's next year. We, we should get a look at a lot of other countries in that tournament um, all being well and that's sort of the pathway for them to then put their hand up for the next World Cup. And I totally agree with you that it needs to be a lot a lot bigger than eight by next time and, and the speed of growth in the international women's game, I hope it will be. I love it, Joanna. Well, Joanna Lester, you've been an incredible co-host for this episode. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, you mentioned Power Mary there again. Let's tell the listeners how they can watch it if they haven't already, how they can get their hands on it and um, how they can sort of follow and support what you're doing as well. Thank you. Yes. Well, if you live in Australia, then you are lucky because you can stream it online. Um, <laughs> if you go to our website, which is powermaryfilm.com, that's um, P-O-W-E-R-M-E-R-I, you can um, find out how to watch it, stream it. Um, you can buy the DVD or if you don't have a DVD player, um, a USB copy, either from our website or from Maskwood Browns, who I know are um, a great <laughs> part of yours. Yep. And if anyone would like to actually get their team together, whether that's their rugby league team, their community or anyone else to watch it together physically or virtually. We've started doing virtual screenings in these times. Um, we've had some some great success with rugby league clubs around the world doing that. We've had NRL women's teams doing that and in England, many teams. So if you head to the screening section of our website, you can also organize that. And we would just love to share it with more people in the rugby league community. So, so please get in touch. Sensational. I'll give Mascord Browns a plug as well again. Of course, mascordbrowns.com and mascordbrowns.com.au. You can get 10% off uh, with the exclusive Chasing Kangaroos discount code 2020VISION. That's 2020VISION. Um, so great way to um, to get yourself a copy of Power Mary. Um, are there signed versions as well, or signed copies of the DVD or anything like that? There certainly are, yes. Um, every time I catch up with the players, um, particularly the players who star in the story roles in Power Mary, including Amelia Cook of the Orchids and the Broncos, um, they sign a few for me. So um, we're going to have one of those um, for you to give away on the show in a few weeks. Uh, and uh, there'll be an Amelia Cook signed Power Mary DVD where you its way to one of your listeners. That is awesome. We're going to do that on our listener call-in episode. So I appreciate that, Joe. Thank you so much. And I want to shout out to, um, before we go as well, to our mutual friend, Ben Howard, who's a listener of Chasing Kangaroos. I believe you guys uh, work together uh, as well. And um, he said, uh, he, he reached out to me a few weeks ago, Joe, and I don't know if I told you this, but he said, you know, you should do like a Chasing Gillaroos episode and get Joanna Lester on. And I said, um, Ben, keep listening, mate, because I think you're going you're gonna to get your wish. So it's been great having you on, Joanna Lester, and um, thank you for Chasing Kangaroos with me. Thank you very much. It's been brilliant. Cheers.